off last week, and so when I'm off for a week, it's like I come back with kind of a new energy. You know, it's probably the opposite of how you feel when you go back to your job after being off for a week. But when I'm off for a week and I come back, it's like there's something in me that's been boiling. And so uh, I'm, I'm excited to share the message that I get to share today. And we're talking today about John, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, John is my favorite book in the Bible. Uh, it's... I, there's something about John that every time I open it, every time I read it, I'm moved. Like there's just, I, I believe if you were on an island and you had one book of the Bible, John would be a good one to have because this, he knew Jesus. Like he spent time with Jesus. He walked with him and he talked with him. And John has an agenda. And John doesn't hide his agenda. His agenda is that you will know Jesus and that through knowing Jesus, you will be changed and transformed. And he's honest about it from the very first to the very last. He doesn't try to, you know, like some, sometimes I feel like church tries to bait you with like, a, oh, it's just Chuck E. Cheese. Come on in. You come in like Jesus, right? John's Jesus the whole time. There's no Chuck E. Cheese, no animatronics at the beginning of John. It's all just Jesus. And so today we're going to kind of open this message and close the book of John by reading a really long passage of scripture. Uh, it's John 17. It's a prayer that, that, uh, that Jesus prayed with his disciples. And sometimes hearing a lot of scripture in church can be difficult, but let me promise you, this will be more important than anything else you hear today. So soak it up and listen. This is not words on a page. This is the breath of God for you. So inhale. This is, this is a case where inhaling is good. Inhale. All right. And, in, and in, I can say that, right? And enjoy this, because uh, this is the breath of life for you. Amen? John 17, let's check it out. We'll start in verse 3, and it says this. And this is Jesus talking, I know, because it's in red letters. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world began. I have, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they obeyed your word. Now that they know everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you. And they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I'll remain in the world no longer, but they're still in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name given, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. And none has been lost except the one who is doomed to destruction so that Scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you'll take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world, so sanctify them by the truth of your word. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them in the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be sanctified. And my prayer is not just for them alone, but I pray for all of those who would believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them, and you and me, so that, the, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then 
the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Oh, man, that's good. So Jesus is about to go to the cross, and he's a, he stops, and he, he prays this incredible prayer with his disciples. And something. So in, in John 16, Jesus is telling them about the Holy Spirit, and he's telling them to beware because it's going to be difficult. And then in, in the beginning of verse 7, you don't have it on the screen, but you can go back and read it. In the beginning of John 17, he says, and then he looked up to the Father and began to pray. It doesn't say he went off to some quiet place. It doesn't say he excused himself from the disciples. It says he just, in the midst of the disciples, he just looks up and he begins to pray. And these guys are standing with him. So they get to hear this prayer. They get to, John, who knows Jesus, goes back and records it one day. They get to hear the prayer that Jesus is praying. And if you ever want to know someone's heart, listen to their prayer especially listen to their prayer if they know they're about to die, right? And Jesus knows he's just a little ways away from death and from pain and from agony, and he stops and he prays. And because he wants us to know his heart, he allowed that prayer to be heard. And in this prayer, he says some incredible things, and today I just want to walk through this prayer and share a few things that have jumped out at me over the past Week. The first thing in verse 3 says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Do you know how much money people spend trying to figure out the meaning of life? Right? People climb mountains. They do all the, all the, what's the meaning of life? What is, this is life, that you might know Jesus, and by knowing Jesus you would know God, and not know of Jesus, but to know him. Let me ask you this. Is it the same thing to know about me as it is to know me? Does everything people know about you, is that really the truth of knowing you? Of course not. We're not talking about knowing about Jesus. We're talking about knowing him. He says, and for those who know me, there is life. Like real life. Like the life you were created to have. To know Jesus, to know God, is to experience life. And life doesn't begin when you die. You experience eternal life the minute you are known and the minute you know Jesus. That is when real life begins, right? Life doesn't begin. People are like, well, I'll, I'll be in heaven. on the No, no, now. That one girl said it best. Ooh, heaven is a place on earth. <laughs> Y'all remember that? I think, think that was Ruth. It's hard. It was either that or Debbie Gibson. But let's not, let's not dice semantics today, right, to know him. That is, that might have been Belinda Carlisle. Who sang that song? Belinda Carlisle. Well, I feel terrible. That, that is life, right? To know Jesus. And anything outside of that is an illusion of life at best. And he said, then he goes on, he says, listen, and for the people who know me, there is something really different about them. For the people who really know me and for the ones I know, because you can't know Jesus and be the same as you were before. He says, for those who know me, there is something distinct and different about you. And in verse 14, this is what he said. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For those who know Christ, 
for those who are in real relationship with Christ, you are so different that you are not of this world. He says, you're not even, you're not even of this. He said, their, their kingdom is with my kingdom. They're not of this world any more than I am of this world. He doesn't say, make their world perfect. He says, perfect them in the midst of a broken world. He doesn't say, let them never hear a lie. He says, sanctify them with the truth. He doesn't say, let there never be any sadness. He says, give them joy in the midst of sadness. He doesn't say, give them health, wealth, and prosperity. He says, in the midst of a broken, decaying, and dying world, raise them up, shine them, and let them be totally and completely different. You're not even of this world. This is why we don't cling tightly to the things of this world. Because this world is not our home. He says, you are not even of this world world. Now listen, there's a day coming, and we don't talk about this too much here because we let the weird church talk about this, but we're going we're to get there. There is a day coming when there will be no more sadness and no more pain and no more death and no more destruction because Jesus Christ is coming back again. He's coming back, and there will be a day when this, guys, the best sunrise you have ever seen is a broken image of what sunrise was designed to be, and there will be a day when we will see things as they were really meant to be. And there will be a day when we will experience the fullness of love and the fullness of hope and the fullness of peace. But between this day and that day, we are to live as if we're already in the world that's coming. We're to live as if we are not of this broken world. We're different, we're restored, we're new, we're brand new. We are changed and we are not bound to the rules of this world. That day is coming where Christ restores all things. But now... It's our time to shine. It's time for us to look different in the world as it is. And y'all remember this. Jesus was a person of contrast, right? We are called to be a people of contrast. We're going to go through this little review one more time. Y'all remember the, the tabernacle? Do you remember the tabernacle? Does anyone remember the tabernacle? If you don't remember tabernacle, it's not because I haven't said tabernacle enough in here, okay? But the tabernacle <laughs> was a place of contrast, and God's glory shone through that place, right? And then Jesus Christ comes, and God's glory is no longer in a place. God's glory is now in a person, and Jesus Christ was a person of contrast. Then Jesus Christ goes up to heaven. He ascends, and he sends us the Holy Spirit, and now we are a people of contrast. What was a place became a person, and now it is a people. We are a people of contrast. In verse 23, this is what he says, I in them. And you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity, then the world will know that you have sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Complete unity, unified as a people, sanctified by truth. Unified as a people made holy and right and pure by truth. Unified as a people of contrast. This doesn't mean unity and we're all, what do you do is okay and everything's okay. But no, it means unified as a people who look different in the world. Together we are one big collective city on a hill and we should look different, unified than the world around us. That's the church. This big, crazy, different looking thing in the world that attracts people to Jesus Christ, unified in our difference. And man, I had a, I had a plan this week. Like I had a, another good plan. 
God lately has been interrupting some incredible sermons. Um, we'll deal with that later, but he apparently had a different plan once again because I had, I had an idea of things I was going to go through. And then I've seen some things this week. I've seen some things in my life as I sat down to write this. And I have come to believe there is one great thing that would truly make us look different in the world. Like you can go through John and you can read and there's probably 150 things we should be convicted about, ways we should look different. But I, I truly believe there is one thing that would truly and completely separate us from the rest of the world. And it's called empathy. Empathy. Put that definition on the screen for me, will you? Empathy is the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. I want to read you the synonyms because everyone likes synonyms. Empathy is affinity with, rapport with, sympathy with, understanding of another person, sensitivity towards another person, sensibility to another person, identification with another person, awareness of another person, fellowship with another person, fellow feeling for another person, like-mindedness with another person, togetherness with another person, closeness to another person. Empathy is the ability for us to walk inside the shoes of another person. And I believe this is the number one place where the American church fails because we are great at judgment. We are terrible at empathy. And you have no idea what it's like to walk in my shoes. And I don't know what it's like to walk in your shoes. The only person in this room who kind of knows is Chris Neal because he's got one leg too. He kind of knows what it's like to walk in. It's my boy over there. He kind of knows. The rest of you two-leggers have no idea. Two-leggers. <laughs> That's good. Somebody write that down. Make that my little quote bubble on Facebook. We don't know, though. Empathy. Like, it's, it's, it's so there, and it's so present, and it's so amazing, and Jesus is so full of it. And we struggle with it over and over. And, you know, like, as I read John, as I read the stories about Jesus' life from, from John, a man who walked with Jesus, like, his miracles... Jesus' miracles are really cool. Like, if I could make this loaf of bread right here into 5,000 loaves of bread, I would do it right now. I'd throw them like Frisbees out there. I'd, I'd be like, watch this. If I could make this tub of baptism stuff into wine, I'd probably dive right in. But, I, but if, I, if I could do that, I'm kidding. If I could do that, that'd be really cool, right? That'd be neat. That'd, that'd be a neat trick. If I could call a dead person and say, stand up and come out of the grave, Lazarus, I would do that. I would love to do that. But do you know what attracts me to Jesus the most? Empathy. He had an empathy that was not of this world. Let's call it alien empathy. That's pretty good, huh? Because it's otherworldly empathy. Maybe you guys remember a, a story Danny shared a few weeks ago about a about this time Jesus is, is walking and he's on a journey and he stops at the city of Sakaar and he does it for the purpose of meeting with a Samaritan woman. And Danny put it so well, he said he had an appointment with a woman and he was going to keep it. And so he goes to this place because you'll see that empathy in Jesus was active empathy. Not just always led to two things. It led him to go where no one else would go and to see what no one else could see. Real empathy 
did something so deep and amazing in Jesus that it always led him to go where no one else would go and see what no one else could see. So Jesus goes into this town where no good Jews should go because it was full of Samaritans. And he goes there at noon and no one with any kind of clout in the world went to the well at noon because they were in a desert and it was hot. And when he gets there, there's a woman. And he walks up to her and she's there at noon because she hates herself. She's so full of guilt and regret. She doesn't even want to be seen. She doesn't even think she's worthy to go at night. And the first thing Jesus does, he doesn't walk up to this Samaritan woman and say, you dirty sinner. He walks up to her and says, I see you're thirsty, ma'am. So am I. Empathy. The first thing he does is find common ground. Before he ever talks about a sin, before he ever does any kind of uh, pointing out or, or need to change, he identifies common ground and he builds a bridge, empathy, with this woman. He's already gone where no one else would go, to the city full of Samaritans. And now he's going to see what no one else can see because whereas the world just sees a broken Samaritan woman, Jesus sees potential for something amazing to happen. And so Jesus has this conversation with this woman. And I want you to notice in this story, there is no miracle. He doesn't turn the water into wine that they're drinking. He doesn't, he doesn't call anybody from the dead. He doesn't give blind back their sight. The only thing Jesus does in this story is something that every single person in this room can do. He empathizes with someone whose life has been broken by sin. He empathizes in a way you have the ability to do. And it doesn't take, I mean, you might say there's a miracle in the fact that Jesus read her mind. Do you really think it was that hard to read the mind of a woman who was at the well at noon? who'd been through all these different marriages. and all, You think it was that hard to read her mind? Have you never looked on someone's face and seen pain? Did you need to be God for that? Jesus empathizes with this woman. And she comes for water and he says, I'm going to give you what you really need. He understands her real need, empathy. And he gives her what she really needed, which was him. And the woman leaves, and she's excited. And then watch when the disciples walk up. The disciples see this same woman, but they see her with a totally different way because they say to Jesus in, in or I think it's like John 4 earlier, they say, what are you doing with that Samaritan woman? Why are you talking to her? Because when they see this woman, they see religious rules. They see dirty. They see impure. Two people are looking at the same woman and they see two totally different things. And Jesus Christ says this in John 4. He says, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the field. The harvest is ripe. He says, man, I wish you could just see what I saw. I wish you could see what I saw. These two, two people are looking at the same person. And Jesus sees a woman who needs help. And they see a woman who should be cut off from the body of Christ. And Jesus says, man, open your eyes. Like I came to give the blind sight. And I think the spiritually blind is the majority of the people he's talking to. Those people whose eyes have become heavy with racism, heavy with hate, heavy with their own baggage, heavy with what they've been taught, heavy with what they've seen. And he says, man, open your eyes. Let me show you the harvest. There's another story in 
John chapter 8. You're getting the best of John today. John chapter 8. Jesus goes to this other town, and there's this lady. And I know you guys have heard this story. This lady has been caught in adultery, and she's about to be stoned to death. I don't know the whole story. Neither do you. But it never stops us from making judgments, does it? Let's just stop there for a second. What we have about someone is a very, very small picture of their life. Be careful judgments you make with a small piece of information. So I don't know this woman's whole story, but I can assume that she knew the law. Everyone knew the law. She broke it. She was guilty. And now she was going to get what she deserved. So the Pharisees and the religious people, they got around and they got rocks and they were fixing to get her. And Jesus walks up there and the story says Jesus bends down on the ground and begins to write something in the sand. And one day I will find out what that was. And if you know now, you don't know. But he begins to write something in the sand, right? And then it says he stands up just as everyone's getting ready to throw their rocks. And listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 8. He says, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any of you who is without sin cast the first stone. Y'all want to get her? Let's get her. Let's get her. But let the perfect one throw the first rock. Empathy. He went where no one else would go. He was standing beside a woman who was about to be stoned to death. And let me tell you, not everybody with a rock had good aim. That was not a super safe place to stand, right? He's standing where no one else would stand. And they all see a criminal, and they all see religion, they all see rules, and they all see all this stuff, and Jesus just sees a woman who needs Jesus. And so he stands between the woman and the rocks, and he defends her. He always defended Always defended. He, he, didn't, he didn't say sin was okay. Later on, he says, go and sin no more. But he protected the dignity of the sinner. He was incredibly gracious with sinners. He was incredibly direct with religious righteous. He saw a woman who needed to be healed. He saw what no one else could see because he empathized and can you imagine, guys, one of the most beautiful things, and I think maybe I just thought about this, all these people are standing. In the story, the, the woman is actually standing and Jesus bends down. The God of all creation bends down on his hands and knees to make a point about a sinner caught in adultery. What more do you want from him? Wow. Empathy. Empathy, man. John 9. This may be my favorite one of the ones I read this week. So the disciples and Jesus are walking along, and they come up to this guy. I think his name's like Blind Bartholomew or Blind Bartimus or Blind Billy. Or I, don't, I don't know what his name is, but blind is the first part, and if that's your name, you've got a high chance of being blind. So, so that's, that's his situation, right? And so the disciples, they see this guy, and he's begging all the time. And in their worldview, if you were born blind... It means that either you are a sinner or your parents are a sinner, right? There is no third option. They've been taught everything they've ever known, their view, their lens. And so they see this guy who's blind, and it says this in verse 9. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? For he's born blind. So they're walking. The blind man is begging. The disciples are over here going, I wonder whose fault that is. 
Is it his fault or his mama's fault? And they're walking. And while they're debating whose fault it is, Jesus walks over to the blind man and says, do you want to see? God said, yeah. And Jesus said, then watch this. Literally, get it? Watch this. (laughs) Now you see. They saw the effects of sin. He saw the glory of God. Two people are looking at the same person and they're seeing two totally different things because our Jesus had deep, deep empathy that was not of this world. John 13, he says this. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as they have loved you. Hold on. Love one another as other people have done unto you. Oh, scratch that. Love one another. This is Jesus talking. Love one another as I have loved you. Don't one another as one another has one anothered you. (laughs) One another, one another as I have loved you. Empathize, not not as they've empathized with you. Empathize with them as I have empathized with you. See in them what I have seen in you. Walk across the room for them as I have walked across the room for you. Don't do for them what they have done for you. You do for them what I have done for you. This is my command. And he does not take commands lightly. Read the Old Testament. This is his command. It's not a request. It's not a gentle nudge. It's a command that we would see in them what he's seen in us. This, this is what it should look like when people are not of this world. Let me ask you guys a question. How many of you have ever seen a star? Just put your hand up if you've ever seen a star. Surely you've all seen a star. If you haven't, my goodness. Have you ever seen a star from a city with a bunch of lights? You've seen that, right? Have you ever seen stars from a campsite or from a beach? Did they look the same? Same stars. Totally different perspective, isn't it? Sometimes your perspective of what you're looking at changes based on where you're seated, right? Have you ever heard of someone who is convicted of a crime and pronounced judgment by saying they got exactly what they deserved? Maybe even took some joy in it. Have you ever sat next to someone you loved while they waited for their sentence? The perspective changes based on where you're sitting, doesn't it? I'm not, it's not right is right and wrong. I'm not saying that. Have you ever judged someone's morals because of a choice she made? Have you ever walked with her when she had to make the choice? Perspective changes based on where you're seated, doesn't it? Have you ever judged someone's value because of the color of their skin, the clothes they wear, or who they fell in love with? Have you ever had anyone tell you that who you love is wrong and you need to stop? Perspective changes based on where you're seated, doesn't it? Have you ever judged someone for a sin? And then later on, found yourself committing the exact same sin? Perspective changes based on where you're seated, doesn't it? 
Again, this isn't excusing sin, but I get so tired of that excuse. I'm not going to excuse it. I know you're not. I get it. But if the only seat you ever sit in is the seat of the judge, then you have set yourself up to receive a judgment you do not want. We must learn empathy. We must learn empathy. We must learn empathy. We see people, we make judgments on their soul and their character and all these things based on this little bitty sliver of information that we have. Based on this tiny bit of information, we judge who they are and what they are and, and why they are. And we make these incredibly judgmental decisions based on nothing. We're deciding their fate. We're deciding who's to blame. Meanwhile, Jesus Christ is walking across the room and picking them up and saying, now you're mine. Where are you sitting today? Because your perspective might change if you tried a different seat. I went to a court case this last week for a friend of mine, and I watched as a judge rendered a verdict on a woman who had confessed her guilt, paid restitution, apologized, and begged for forgiveness. And I watched a judge look up and say these words, you disgust me, to a woman. Not only did he render the, the verdict, which was probably just, he did it with poison. He took joy in it. And I left there so mad at that judge. And then I got back to the office and started reading John. And my anger at him turned to an anger at me. Because do you know how many times I've sat in that seat? Who was I to judge him? I have sat in that seat more times than I ever care to admit. I have judged people based on their motives or some choice or some decision. God, I repent. I was wrong. My hope is today in the house, what we have is a collective, I'm sorry. And then we receive the power to have what we can never have on our own, alien empathy. On our own, we can never empathize because we can never see through our own eyes, but we're not on our own. We don't have to see people the way the world sees them. And we're so scared of this because we're so scared. And I've been there. We're so scared of this that by empathizing, they're going to think we think what they're doing is right. Stop worrying about that. Did Jesus seem to worry about that when he walked across the room? Did he worry about that when he got between the stones and the woman? Did he worry about that when he went to a town where he was never supposed to be? Did he worry about that? No, he just did it. Just do it. Go, go, or no one else will go. See what no one else can see. This, this is how we live as foreigners, strangers, and aliens in a world where we do not belong. 